1: Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing today? I hope you're doing fine and that you are ready for another episode in which you can practice listening to English as it is spoken by humans. Um, In this case, me and my dad, uh, because my dad's back on the podcast today. Uh, He's written a new book and it's available now. The book is called A River Avon Year, The Wildlife and History of Shakespeare's Avon. And my dad is back on the podcast today to tell us all about it and to discuss some of the themes and stories which he has written about. This is his second book. The first one, which came out in 2020, was called Park Life, A Year in the Wildlife of an Urban Park. He talked about that on this podcast in episode 690, as some of you may remember. Well, now he's written the sort of sequel to that book. And so naturally, we had to do a podcast about it, too. So this new book is all about a river called the River Avon, which flows through the middle of England, very close to areas where I grew up and where my parents still live. And in the book, uh, Dad uses this river and the path that it takes through the country as a way of telling a range of stories about British history and wildlife. And so those are the things that you will hear him talk about in this conversation. First, you'll get a bit of a history lesson as Dad describes a few very decisive battles that took place next to the banks of the river. These battles represent key moments in British history, including when the Romans took control of Celtic Britain in the first century, a medieval battle between the king and the barons following the creation of Magna Carta in the 13th century, a battle during the Wars of the Roses Between the Yorks and Lancastrians in the 15th century, and a battle that took place during the English Civil War in the 17th century, which would ultimately result in the execution of the king at the time and the establishment of a kind of English Republic. So, stories of battles that represent key moments in British history. And then there's a bit of a chat about wildlife, uh, especially the birds that can be found near the River Avon. And finally, Dad talks about modern day questions about environmental issues connected to this river, including pollution and the cleanliness of Britain's rivers and waterways and the controversial management of Britain's water system, which is a big political scandal that has been in the news a lot recently. So a history lesson, some nature and some politics from Rick Thompson in this episode, just touching on some of the things which you can read about in more detail in his new book, the details of which you are about to hear. Uh, So if you are looking for a good book to read in order to work on your English, then you could consider reading this one. My dad is an excellent writer. His descriptions are vivid, clear and never unnecessarily complicated you are bound to learn things on every single page. And of course, you know the author a bit as well now, which is nice. Okay, so let's now get started with this conversation with my dad, recorded just a couple of weeks ago at my parents' house, uh, in my parents' garden. In fact, if you're listening to the audio version of this, then I will talk to you a bit more at the end. Uh, But without further ado, let's now get started. And here we go. Okay, We can start now. Hello, Dad. Here we are. Where, where are we?
0: Uh, we're in our back garden here in England.
1: Yeah, that's right. In the middle right. of England. It's actually quite a chilly day, but it's not bad. It's February. Is this a good idea to be sitting outside?
0: Well, so far, February has been really mild, and, and you know, uh, we've been lucky. Sometimes February could be a terrible month, but we haven't had any rain much, no snow. Here in the middle of England, we tend to not get the bad weather these days. In Scotland, they get a lot of snow, but... We haven't had any snow in the winter for several years now. Mm.
1: So it's well, we're not going to get snowed on, but uh, it might get a little bit chilly. But that's all right. Yeah. Uh, we're wrapped up fairly warm. You might hear some background noises, uh, listeners. The sound of the police because yeah, they are an
0: ambulance going to the that, local hospital.
1: That's an ambulance, is it?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Okay. Right. So, what are we doing then today? What's what are we talking about? You've written we've written a new book, another uh, one. Yes,
0: you, you wanted to hear about my new book. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a book. About a river, and it's called, co- I'll show you, it's called, um, it's just coming out, it's called A River Avon Year, and there's a subtitle, it says, The Wildlife and History of Shakespeare's Avon, A Journey Through the Year from the Source to the River Severn. Can you explain that that subtitle? Y- yes, I can. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a little book which is about the wildlife of the local river that flows through here, through Warwick. Um, but it's a bit, about a bit more than that mm-hmm. and it's uh, there's a, a, a pathway um, called Shakespeare's Avon Way because the river is known as Shakespeare's Avon um, and it follows the river as closely as it can and I've followed that through the year January, February, March, April as the seasons unfold and have visited the towns along the way it's about the wildlife as the year rolls on But it's about a lot of other things. It's about the history that's taken place on the banks of this river. And it's about some folklore and it's about some famous people and it's about stories. So it's about a lot of different things. Very nice. So um, a River Avon, is it worth mentioning the title of the the name of the river? It is, yes. Um, It's quite confusing because there's a lot of River Avons in Britain. I think there are five in England and two in Scotland. And, um, for example, the city of Bristol is on the River Avon, but it's not this one. It's the Bristol Avon. This, uh, this is known as Shakespeare's Avon, or the Warwickshire Avon. And it flows right across the middle of England, from northeast to south-west, until it joins up with the longest river in Britain, the River Severn. Uh, why Avon? Why? Well, well, yeah. yeah. What, what does um, Avon mean in in the uh, old Celtic language? That's before all the invasions that happened, starting with the Romans. Uh, Afon is still in Welsh; still means river. Afon means river. So um, the river Avon is a kind of a tautology. I think they call it a pleonism. There's an interesting word for mm. you. pleonism is a name which is the same thing twice. So it's the River River. I can imagine the Romans coming and saying to their locals, what do you call that? And they said, Often and so they said, right, lads, it's the River Avon. It's the River Avon, right. <laughs> but they were just and the locals like there. these stupid Romans, they don't realise. <laughs> they call it a River River. So we have a lot of Avons. This one is known as Shakespeare's Avon, and it actually goes through Stratford-upon-Avon. Shakespeare was born there and brought up on the banks of the Avon in the wooded side of the, the valley which was called the Forest of Arden and it appears in many of his plays as a kind of a sanctuary, an ideal place uh, the opposite of the corruption of the court and the city.
1: So the wildlife and history of Shakespeare's Avon, Avon, uh, a journey through the year from source to seven. okay wh- what do you want to start with the wildlife or the history?
0: Well, I think it's probably interesting to your listeners that it it delves into a little bit of the history of England because of the battles that have taken place on the banks of the Avon at different times. I have to say the first, um, I think the first part of the
1: first chapter of the book is quite nice because you say this, this is page two. It is a beautiful shining river, but it has a dark past. The Warwickshire Avon, known as Shakespeare's Avon, runs through the heart of England like an artery, and over the centuries, it has been known to run red with blood, as key moments in in the nation's history have been played out on its banks in vicious battles for the throne.
0: That's true. Nice. Um, I mean, I can mention four of them. Um, Four battles. Four battles. Yes. Um, All of them... Being key moments in in British history, and all about taking over the country, all about power, uh, and uh, the battle for for power, and in many cases the throne, the crown. Um, the 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 Avon Way, Shakespeare's Avon Way, goes across um, an old Roman road called Watling Street. There are quite a lot of Roman roads intersecting the country. Um, the Romans took over old ways uh old celtic routes but also built some of their own and this is a very long one called wattling street yeah wattling street was originally um an old celtic route from the southeast to the northwest of england uh, and the romans apparently paved it and widened it um, so that they could dominate the country by moving their troops quickly up and down the country, even chariots and wagons uh, quickly up and down Watling Street. Um, and it was on Watling Street somewhere, somewhere near where uh, the Avon crosses Watling Street, there was a battle shortly after the Romans had invaded Britain. And it was the key battle where the local Celts uh, confronted a big Roman army. Um, and it was co- it's called the Battle of Watling Street, or some historians call it um, the Battle of Boudiccio, Boudicca. Boudicca was a warrior queen who was in charge of the Iceni tribe, which occupied uh, what is now East Anglia, east east southeast side of Britain. And um, the, her father did a deal with the Romans, where he left where he said when he died. Um, he'd written a will to leave all his lands equally between his his daughters and the Roman emperor, who was Nero at the time. Okay, but the Romans didn't follow that. When when he died, they didn't uh, respect. They his, didn't respect the deal. the deal. They simply took everything. And not only that, they humiliated his wife, Boudica, and violated his daughters uh, to just to show who was in charge. Mm. And this, of course, enraged the tribe of the Iceni, and they, and they linked up with the neighbouring tribe called the Trinovantes, I think, and they formed a huge army and decided that they weren't going to take this from the Romans. And they went to what is now Colchester and burned it to the ground. The Romans had occupied it as a key centre and built a great temple there and got the locals to pay for it. And uh, having done that, they then headed for what is now London, Londinium. Mm-hmm. And the Roman army knew that they couldn't face so many of them. So they, uh, they withdrew, and Boudicca's army burned Londinium. And then they turned their attention to a bit further north, to a place which is now called St. Albans. And meanwhile, the Romans had gathered all their troops from around the country and they intercepted them at Watling Street. Right. And there was this great battle and the uh, the numbers involved, according to Tacitus, the the Roman historian, were huge. You know, like he reckons there were a hundred thousand Celts, amassed wow. against about ten thousand. Uh, legionaries uh, of the Roman army. So they were outnumbered about 10 to 1. So it was a massacre of the Romans, was it? It was not. No? <laughs> no. Um, why, why not? Well, according to Tacitus, the leader of the Roman legions um, basically gave more speech before the battle. And he said, pay no attention to all the noise of these savages. They're not real soldiers. They're not even properly armed. We're the professionals. Go in there with your spears. Throw your javelins. Push them down with your shields and finish them off with your swords. Wow. And that's what they did. Because the Romans had all the technology and the the methodology. They had the armour, they had the uh, discipline. Yeah, uh, and training, and um, they basically did exactly what their commander had said, and according to Tacitus, about eighty thousand people were killed. Oh my God! Isn't that enormous? It's yeah. terrible. So uh, this
1: is this is where the as you called it, Watlington Street m- m- met or meets Wattling Watling Street,
0: somewhere near the River Avon. Nobody's entirely sure where it was okay. exactly. Okay, uh, because they don't even know what year it was. It was either AD sixty or it was either AD 61, it's not clear from the contemporary accounts. Equally, it's not entirely clear where it was, but we know that it was somewhere near the banks of the Avon. Okay. So that's battle one. Whoa. So that's important. And the Romans secured their... their, 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 With that battle, the Romans had got Britain. They They, they, they took control. Massacred the locals and they took control. Right, so that's
1: a key moment in Britain's
0: Britain's history. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: 61 around 61 AD? Yes. Yeah, okay.
0: So They, w- they invaded um, uh, in... Uh, the, Caesar did an exploratory visit in uh, 54 BC, but they didn't come back seriously until a few years later than that. So it was only maybe 50 years after they'd really landed that this big battle took place. Okay, okay. So that's an, a nice bloody start, isn't it? I mean, I can tell you very briefly about, if we move forward to the 13th century, it's a big jump. Into the, 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 uh, medieval the medieval period. period. Yeah. Early medieval the period. The 13th
1: century. Yeah.
0: Okay. And uh, further down the river in the in the battle in the uh, Vale of, of uh, Evesham. Evesham is a beautiful t- town on the banks of the Avon in the middle of the rich farming country, Uh, notable for its fruit and its vegetables, still is to this day. Mm -hmm. And there was a battle at Evesham. And this one was um, a a tussle between the king and the earls or barons who ran their part of the country. You you may have heard of Magna Carta. Some of your, your listeners will have will have probably heard of magna carta it was um, a a document that king john was forced to sign by the barons which gave them local power and gave them the ability to raise money and uh, because they felt that the king was basically milking them uh, to fund his lifestyle and his battle. Who were the barons, though? Well, they were the various earls, Earl of Northam- Northumberland, the Earl of uh, you know, Yorkshire, Lancashire, all these territories. And they were powerful, and they had armies. So if we jump on from the, from the Magna Carta, which was a, a, a famous document, um, the first real constitution, if you like, um, if you move on to 1265... Uh, By then, uh, the, the earls and the barons felt that they hadn't got the deal they wanted. So, so basically, Magna Carta was all about these
1: barons saying, look, this is unfair. The king's got too much power. Indeed. Uh, um, And they came to him and forced him to sign this kind of early version of a constitution, uh, which um, a kind of set of laws to say that, you know, you have to give us a certain amount of power. This is the deal. And then uh, uh, sometime later, the barons and earls decided, look, the king's not respecting our deal
0: right so they uh, weren't happy right. well by then it was henry the third okay. the king was henry the third and the barons were very unhappy and um a, a a guy called simon de montford he was the earl of leicester uh, he also had french origins but that's not the point simon de montford reckoned that he had um a, a legitimate um claim claim to the throne um, How? Uh, well, basically uh, because his mother had been uh, married to Henry the Second, I think. Okay. Um, OK. But the main point was that he and a lot of other barons uh, had decided that they'd had enough and they would depose the king and put um, his son, Prince Edward, Simon de Montfort's son, Prince Edward, on the throne instead. And they uh, they succeeded in, in defeating the king at a battle of Lewis on the south coast of England. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Simon de Montfort ran Britain in in the name of a king for some time. Was he called very the, interesting man? The king with no throne, or the king with no cr- the throneless the king, king, or I something. I think he was the king with no crown. Okay. And um, he uh, he was noted for having a kind of parliament, the first one in the world. It wasn't a real democratically elected parliament like we're used to now but he did invite lots of representatives from around the country to london to meet and discuss what they needed and what they wanted and what should be done about various issues and these were earls and they were um, uh, clergy and military men um, from all
1: over the country. So this is Simon de Montfort, one of the Earl of the Earl of Leicester, who decided that he had a claim to the throne, and there was a battle at at, at Lewis. Did you say? Yes, it was Lewis, uh, and and that's that was a decisive moment where power shifted in his favour, uh, and um, he ruled essentially as the monarch, although he wasn't officially the monarch. Is okay. And then, so then what happened? Well, in
0: the end, he lost he lost support. A lot of the barons changed sides, if you like. They'd obviously got promises from, from the king and, and it wasn't going the way they wanted it to. Uh, they call this the Baron, baron's, wars, barons' wars. There were a lot of conflicts around the country. It was a bit chaotic. Um, but he lost a lot of support from the barons and in the end uh, there was the battle at Evesham which settled things. And Simon de Montfort's army were in Evesham by the river. yeah. And the the king's army, or in fact, Prince Edward's army, backed by some of the other barons. Wait, his own son? No, 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 no. There's another Edward. There's another Edward. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there's another Edward. Don't worry about it. All I can say to keep it simple is that uh, he got defeated at Evesham. Um, The uh, opposing army outnumbered him two to one and they came down the hill and he was trapped in uh, a curve of the river he was waiting for reinforcements but the one they they couldn't get across the river and they were trapped and mm-hmm. there was a major slaughter at Evesham, which was the end of Simon de Montfort. Yet more blood
1: they, they, in the river again. There
0: was. They, they actually chopped his body into pieces and sent the pieces around the country to be displayed just in case any other barons had any ideas. <laughs> so that was the Battle of Evesham. Lovely. The end of the Barons' War. Okay. All right, so we're
1: talking about blood, blood in the river, <laughs> blood, ladies and gentlemen. I'll, look,
0: I'll keep it quick. The, the, the River Avon, the Warwickshire Avon, actually rises in, in to the east in the county of Northamptonshire at a small village called Naseby, and there's a spring there. That, and the, the, in the 1800s, somebody put a metal uh, sort of thing, cone where the spring is. A spring, that's where natural water comes out of the ground. That's right.
1: Natural water.
0: uh, Spring water. And this this metal cone says, you know, the source of the River Avon. Um, Unfortunately, um, the source is rather inconveniently moved. So so there isn't any water coming out of this special spout. Not anymore. There hasn't been any water coming out of it for years. Okay. The, The source has moved... About a hundred yards away, and trickles out of a pipe in somebody's garden. <laughs> so that's the origins of the Avon, and it trickles away across the fields. Okay. In Naseby, by as it happens, there was a crucial battle uh, in the um, the the famous uh, Roundheads and Cavaliers Civil War of the 1600s. Yeah, but hold on, you've jumped ahead because there's another battle, Dad.
1: Uh, the Wars of the Roses. Oh yes, I, uh, there certainly in the is. Thirteenth century. So we had oh, 61 gosh, yeah. A.D. Um, Budicea and uh, the Celts yeah. <laughs> uh, versus the Romans. <laughs> then uh, 1265, the Battle of Evesham, which was Simon de Montfort uh, depo- um, trying to de- take over. Trying to take him. over, and and uh, Prince Edward came back and uh, they slaughtered him and his his army uh, in the loop of the river. And then in 1471, there was another
0: a uh, violent battle next to the river. You are right. Not not at Naseby where the source of the river is, but at Tewkesbury where the river finishes and joins the River Severn. So we'll come, <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to Naseby
1: in a, Naseby a moment, Naseby in a but Tewkesbury is the Wars of the Roses. What's what were the Wars of the Roses? And by the way, people can now start in thinking of Game of Thrones. Yes. Certainly maybe season 1 of Game of Thrones, uh which was the like uh the Wars of the Roses
0: uh were the inspiration for um that's, that's indeed and those of course, stories and of course, anyway shakespeare had done it first yeah uh, he'd written a trilogy of plays around henry vi uh about the wars of the roses so game of thrones was picking up what shakespeare had done mm-hmm. um yes the it, it was at Tewkesbury, uh and the two big families Uh, who contested the throne were the lancastrians who were based in the northwest of england and the uh, the yorkists based on the city of york now in yorkshire uh, on the east side of uh, of england yeah okay um and the uh the lancastrians had the red rose as their emblem and the uh, yorkists had the white rose as their emblem Uh, that is why it's called the Wars of the roses and, um Two families that basically wanted to uh, take control of the throne. Yes, and they they both thought they had legitimate claims to the throne. Henry the Sixth was deposed by another Edward, Edward the Fourth, and that was uh, the Yorkists. Uh, taking over well, from the Lancastrians. Who was deposed by who? Henry <laughs> VI. Henry VI was Henry the deposed, sixth by, Edward was deposed
1: the, by Edward IV. IV. Okay, OK, right. Lots of it's and It's pretty Edwards.
0: complicated, this. Yeah. Anyway, um, a, it's, a, it's a good, good story. And mm-hmm. in the end, um, Queen Margaret, the, the, the widow of the deposed king, wanted her son, another Edward, <coughs> to be to be the king and she had a lot of supporters and they 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 assembled an army and the Yorkists led by Richard of Gloucester uh met uh, with a in a big battle at Tewkesbury and once again the army that got trapped in the with by the river was the army that lost and there was another massacre and they the um Uh, The Lancastrian side, the earls there, fled into the Abbey or the Abbey Church um, at Tewkesbury because they thought they could claim sanctuary. That was the way that you go into the Abbey and claim sanctuary and they can't touch you. Those are the kind of rules of of warfare. Yes, but um, but the Yorkists weren't having any of that. They didn't respect the Abbey and they dragged them all out and killed them all. (laughs) Oh, God. There are stains on the floor of the Abbey Church, which people say, oh, the stains from the blood that flowed across the floor. Wow. So that's the Battle of Tewkesby. It's cheerful stuff, isn't it? So that pretty much saw the end of the Wars of the Roses, mm-hmm. uh, with the um, Yorkists um, uh, being triumphant. And in the end, Richard the you know, became king. Um And when the Tudor dynasty started through marriage and alliances, they managed to get the two sides together, which is why the Tudor rose is a combination of the red rose and the white rose. It's a double rose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So there's a little bit of history for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, And very briefly, going onwards to the Civil War. Um, Civil War, seventeenth century, sort of middle of the seventeenth century. Yeah, English Civil War, a dreadful period, a terrible period. Yeah, um, the um, the Protestants were sick of the church being corrupt and the king having too much power, and they and Oliver Cromwell rose to be their leader, uh, and he was a powerful military man. And they assembled a great big army of parliamentarians, as they are called, who wanted to establish a parliament and not just have the king ruling by decree. And it split the country into the royalists who supported the king and the parliamentarians who supported Cromwell and Fairfax and and the others. And um, they became known as roundheads or ironclads, uh, the army of Oliver Cromwell. Tough, professional... Um, round heads because of their metal helmets They had round metal helmets Yeah. And the, the, the royalists tended to be more flamboyant And they were called cavaliers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, the, at, at Naseby The two armies met after a series of, of battles In a decisive one And uh, it's interesting that uh, Charles I was the king, of course And he was outnumbered um a huge it was a huge battlefield apparently it was foggy that day and when the mist lifted uh the royalist army could see the parliamentarian forces arrayed on the fields ahead of them and it was 2 miles long this battle line with cavalry on the flanks archers and spearmen in the middle oh my god and charles Decided that he would attack them, and he spurred his his uh, footmen forwards, and so they attacked the centre of the lines, and they were doing okay until a Scottish earl, described by historians as foul-mouthed, which meant that he swore a lot, lots of rude language. <laughs> uh, he grabbed yeah. the king's bridle. And he said to him, will wait, you go to your death, in Scottish accent. Wait,
1: he grabbed the king's bridle, the, the,
0: yes, the, 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 the
1: straps the, on the
0: horse's yeah, uh, head. He held, grabbed,
1: held the horse kind of thing. Yeah, and it, the and king. the
0: horse wheeled round um, and this was seen by the soldiers down in, down in the valley and they thought it was a sign to retreat. So they all he
1: grabbed them to say, "Will you not go to your death?" Meaning, um, oh God,
0: yes, "Don't, don't, it's too dangerous." You don't, know?
1: Right, don't go to your death, and because he grabbed the horse, the, the horse, horse came round, turned round, and all the the um, um, royalist soldiers uh, thought that this was a sign to retreat.
0: That was a signal. Or maybe they were looking for a sign to retreat. <laughs> maybe they were, but they then turned round and fled, and they were pursued, and it it went very badly for them. And uh, Cromwell issued an order get the king Mm -hmm. a shoe or plunder but the man himself and he was on his horse he had two pistols apparently he reached a place called bloody man's ford where he was surrounded by parliamentarian soldiers but he used his um he used his pistols and spurred his horse through them and escaped charles i was not executed by the parliamentarians, they came to an arrangement where he was supposed to be just a king in name and they would have their parliament. Right. And they did have their parliament. But Charles couldn't accept that and believed that he had a divine right, that God had made him king and everything else. And in the end, there was another civil war. It was twin civil wars. They sometimes call the civil war the civil wars because they had to do it again. Yeah. And the second time around, uh, they didn't give him any... Any mercy, and they cut, cut his head off. So that was when we'd had our revolution. The French had a revolution and executed their royal family a few years later, so did the Russians. But ours is in 1645. We did
1: it first, everyone. We did it first. Yeah, how proud are we? We cut, we cut
0: our king's head off first. Yes. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing was that, that, that having a king was popular. And however hard they tried, the parliamentarians, to, uh, to get popular acceptance of this new arrangement, people still wanted a king. And after just 11 years, they brought back the monarchy with Charles's son, Charles II, Charles II. called the Restoration. And um, the people who had executed his dad <laughs> were thrown into jail. Um, Cromwell gave up and went back to his farm uh, and uh, he'd done his best to get rid of the monarchy and make it a parliamentary democracy, but it hadn't been accepted. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab
1: grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
0: There you go. Well, that's just a little bit of a history, history lesson along the banks of the River Avon. But the rest of it is more cheerful. And uh, there's, there's very nice wildlife. There's, there's some beautiful bird reserves along the way. Uh, and there are uh, interesting little stories at some of these places. So that's what the book's about. What, what um,
1: I guess you've written about the wildlife uh, in the book. I mean, that's, that's uh, what the book is about, the history and the wildlife. Um, what are some of your favourite things that you wrote about in terms of wildlife?
0: Well, um, it obviously changes as the seasons go by. Here we are now in, in early spring. Um, and what you get uh, is winter visitors of birds, birds that come in for the winter. They're escaping the very hard weather in Scandinavia and, and Russia. Um in and the Arctic we get, Circle. we get quite a lot of birds coming in across the North Sea to spend their winter in more temperate climb here where they can get food. So you get a little thrush called a redwing, uh, and there's plenty of those around at the moment. But they'll all fly back again to where they came from in March, probably. The red wings are very attractive. They have a stripy head. They have a creamy line over their eye. And they're called red wing because there's a gingery red flash on its side. It actually shouldn't be called a red wing. It should be called a red flank because the gingery flash is on the side, not on its wing. But so you see red wings. There's a larger thrush called a field fair, which is also very colourful. And you have finches that again are escaping the worst of the weather. They come in from Scotland. Uh, and these little things called um, uh, red poles uh, which are small birds that feed on seed heads mm-hmm. and uh, siskins which are yellow and black. So there's all sorts of interesting birds in the winter time and then in the summer time you get all the summer visitors uh, the warblers and the swallows and everything else. Yeah. So it's nice and interesting to see them arriving. One of the things that that is interesting is that uh, there's always climate change at the back of everything um, even here where we don't get the extremes caused by climate change not very often anyway sometimes the river floods seriously mm-hmm. um, but uh, we we have uh, observations from organisations like ecological organisations where they they take notes of when flowers appear when insects appear and everything else and we're definitely at least two weeks ahead from where we were just 30 years ago. So in terms of the temperature, in terms of the, the way the flowers are growing yeah. and, and so yeah. on, we're, it, it's like two weeks ahead yes. of... So spring happens two weeks earlier yeah. um, by any measure, really. The, mm-hmm. the, the effects of climate change are incredibly serious, obviously, and no one seems to be able to stop the greenhouse gas emissions which are causing it and it's going to have profound effects, um, and uh, it's, it's evident in a whole number of things. One of the less interesting or worse things is that there is a biodiversity crisis now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, the number of insects, the number of birds, number of everything, really, are falling, generally. Some species are doing all right, but a lot of species are not. The uh, number of butterflies is right down number of moths is right down and that's very serious and it's obviously they're pollinators uh, good for agriculture and in many ways it's climate change that's causing it some of it is intensive agriculture um you know large fields which don't have any uh areas which are good for insects and and feeding birds so there is a, a bit of a, a biological Biodiversity crisis, they call it, linked with the climate crisis and linked with the pollution crisis. These three things are interlinked. Mm. The river is um, is not a bad bad example in England. A lot of the rivers in Britain are polluted. It's a it's a national scandal. This is is this
1: a is, has it always been that way, or is this a recent thing? The
0: pollution in the rivers. It is, it, it is post-Industrial Revolution, so they started getting polluted during the Industrial Revolution. Right. And there has been a drive to try to clean them up for quite a long time now. But according to um, people who monitor these things, it's now going into reverse, that after a period of time when the rivers got better and better, they're now going backwards again. And uh, the main cause of that is that the... The system to get rid of our sewage is sewage. so old.
1: Sewage. sewage. That's the stuff that we flush down the toilet. Yeah. It, it goes down into the sewers, it becomes sewage, and it has to be dealt with. How do we get rid of it?
0: Well, they have various plants that are supposed to process it, and, and, it turn, and so only clean water will go back into When you say river. plants, you don't mean the kind of plants that grow. <laughs> no, no. But you mean plants An like industrial, uh, plant.
1: industrial facilities yes. that are supposed to process it. Yes, okay.
0: Uh, and they're, they're old and they need investment and successive governments haven't invested enough in them. So when, it, when there's a heavy rainstorm, they get overwhelmed. And what the water companies do, and they are companies, our water industry is entirely privatised, what they do is they just push it out into the river. So, every now and then, there is a a release of raw sewage into the rivers, and people recently have been noticing this is happening more and more and more often, and I think last year they reckoned 380,000 times. Raw sewage was emptied into Britain's rivers. So this is an absolute scandal. And
1: last it year is. it really came to a head. You might have seen—I don't know if listeners out there uh, pay attention to UK news—but um, last year there was a huge scandal about, yeah, uh, the condition and state of the rivers, and there being lots of raw sewage just pumped directly into the rivers, which is absolutely shocking. Um, uh, especially when you consider that you know a lot of people live near the rivers, people are fishing in the rivers, people are playing near the rivers, people are going on the rivers. You know, it's not like these rivers are. Are remote and far away from us. We we live very close to them, uh, and um, so yeah, that is absolutely shocking. Like raw sewage being pumped into the rivers. Now, why why does this happen? You mentioned it that the, the, the water companies are private companies. I mean, it's there's a bit of politics involved in it. But oh, uh, yeah.
0: this is the, the, what happens. The, it what actually what happens? The um, uh, the utilities, uh, which includes water. Um, some people think that it should be a, a national, nationalised or national facility, and it shouldn't be in the hands of companies that are there to make profit out of it. Why? Um, because they they pay their shareholders dividends, and the the woman who runs the local water supply system here in the middle of England is paid nearly four million pounds a year, and and people are saying you say you can't afford to you know clean everything up and yet you're paying large amounts to your private investors and you're paying your top executives stupidly huge amounts of money it's so be- it, that's that's why people are, are angry that they can't invest more money in cleaning yeah, up yeah because they they
1: they're, they're, as private companies their um, purpose is to make sure that their shareholders get large dividends, their purpose is to make profit That's and right. the, the profit that they make doesn't get reinvested into the into the system, into the um, infrastructure. Instead, that profit gets given to uh, their private investors and shareholders and uh, directors and so on yeah. Yeah, in the form of yeah. bonuses and things like that. So, this is the scandal. It's the fact that these companies are not reinvesting in the system. They're paying l- huge sums of money uh, to their shareholders and stuff and they're not, uh, and, and they are pumping raw sewage into that enter our waters and then they're saying oh we have to do it this you know we, we can't afford to upgrade the system
0: yes and and of course uh, a lot of the the pollution does come from farming uh, if it's not properly regulated and again that needs more investment so you know cattle uh, sludge goes into the river. Cow poo from pig farms. Stuff goes in from chicken farms. Stuff goes in, and for, from arable farms where they where they uh, grow crops. Um, it's it's pesticides that can get into the into the water course. So it's quite a complicated issue. The 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 company that runs the uh, the middle of England, um, which includes this River Avon, is better than most. Um, and they have got a plan, a four-year plan. First of all, monitoring the water, and then with a whole number of different initiatives to try to reduce the amount of uh, pollution by a specific amounts. The the problem for them is that every now and then the Avon has a massive flood, and okay. with climate change, it's likely to happen more often. We are talking about major floods, uh, where Evesham has mentioned before. Tewkesbury where Avon joins the Severn, gets completely cut off sometimes the floods are massive um, the, the latest the biggest flood was in 2007 when Tewkesbury was cut off for weeks and they didn't have any fresh water because the water was polluted uh, and um, they've been building uh, protections along the Avon and the Severn to protect the towns from flooding. But that's just basically a temporary measure. What they've got to do is improve the way that the water is siphoned off when it reaches a certain height into great tanks and into areas that it won't do any damage. So it takes bunds, which are big earthen uh, uh, defences, and metal defences, and all sorts of things that have to be done to protect the towns of Evesham, Pershaw, Bewdley, other places, which keep on getting flooded. Right. Okay. So there you go. The Avon's an interesting river. It can be beautiful and calm and glassy and full of wildlife. And other times it can be brown and racing and dangerous and sometimes it can be polluted. Talk about pollution. I read somewhere that France has 1,300 uh, 1, designated bathing areas in rivers and lakes around the country. Mm-hmm. We've got Two? Two? Two that are regarded as being good enough quality for people to bathe. We've got two designated bathing. I mean, to be fair, France is twice as big. Well, yeah, but 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 still, two. So a lot of people are now trying to make their local river. quality enough for bathing and there are regulations there which they can exploit to demand that the water company keep it safe when you say bathing that means swimming or just
1: generally yeah. just going in the water swimming, paddling whatever yeah okay very interesting stuff dad so uh all of this kind of thing is included in in your book so listeners if you are interested in reading it you can it's available now uh you've got the the history stuff there's the nice descriptions of beautiful wildlife and um some comments about about the kind of political and climate change situation all included in there. A River Avon Year by Rick Thompson. Where where can people actually get a copy it's of this? It's
0: available on, online, obviously, from Amazon. But the Book Depository is, is a good online bookstore. Book like and they say the Book Depository, and they say it's free worldwide postage d- delivery. Free delivery. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, and it's only only cost 10 quid, 10 pounds. The the idea of this book is to be a slightly old-fashioned format, so that it's got a little sketch, a pen and ink sketch at the beginning of each chapter, and each chapter is is got subheadings chopped up, and this is the way old-fashioned um, uh, wildlife and and uh, natural history books were done. So I've deliberately made it, you know, slightly slightly old-fashioned style, and it means it's easy to read. Uh, uh,
1: I, sh- I should say that, uh, listeners, as well as all these other things that my dad does, he's also a very good artist artist and illustrator. And the book is full of his own illustrations. Uh, I'm showing to the video viewers at this point um, the cover of the book, which shows two kingfishers drawn by you, Dad. And as you say at the beginning of each um, chapter, there's something here of two great crested grebes. Beautiful birds that you might see on the river, and every chapter has a different illustration at the beginning of it, including a hand-drawn map, a bit like J.R.R. Tolkien would have done at the beginning of his book. Not quite as interesting as his. Not quite, but still, it's it's a lovely-looking map that you've drawn of the Warwickshire Avon, and we show the different uh, places that we've mentioned in this episode. And uh, other other lovely little illustrations. I'm just randomly. Well, you're doing the book. a great
0: plug. That that's a, an interesting There's one. There's a picture a of a, a
1: murmuration of starlings here, which is when starlings in huge flocks fly together in the sky, and make these incredible shapes and mm. patterns. Yeah. Um,
0: and other other interesting things. Um, yeah. The, uh, the yeah, the old-fashioned books used to always have a little 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 sketch here and there just to punctuate it so i thought i'd do the same thing wonderful there's a picture of uh, my, one of my favorite birds here a barn owl yeah picture of it's, a barn owl drawn by found, dad really nice the barn owl is found nearly all over the world it's it's uh, it's you know in asia africa americas um it's the white owl um but in this country uh, its numbers have been falling quite heavily because of the way farming has become more intensive but it's made a a dramatic comeback mainly because of a barn owl conservation scheme human intervention Mm -hmm. putting up loads and loads of barn owl boxes thousands of them uh, and persuading farmers to leave a little bit of ground rough where the mice and voles will live and the barn owl numbers have bounced right back. So yeah. uh, you can reverse the decline in biodiversity by taking the right kind of action. Beautiful birds and silent, completely silent when they mm. fly.
1: Um, and I remember James and I um, went down the lane uh, a few years ago uh, when you were living in your previous house. You said to us uh, uh, when we were visiting one weekend, oh, there's people have been spotting a barn owl in the field down the road. Uh, If you go down this evening at dusk, you might see it. So James and I went off down the lane and uh, went into the field and crept uh, uh, along next to the hedge, trying to make no noise. And we sat there for about 20 minutes waiting in exactly the spot that you told us to wait and, you know, getting a bit cold. And then we saw this thing in the distance in the half light. It looks almost like a ghost. It was like this white sort of um, white little ghost f- uh, flapping around. Uh, very mysterious moment. And it's got like this flat face. So the fa- you can see this face with wings flying around in the distance. And um, it was very odd. It was kind of like, whoa, is that it? What's that? And it's these, these, these kind of uh, soft flapping wings and this flat face. And it would float around above the field and every now and then drop down to try and catch something.
0: Yeah, this amazing. is a, a beautiful bird. And as you say, it is completely silent. Its feathers are amazing. And it makes no sound at all. And in experiments, they've discovered that it can judge distance. It's got terrific hearing. It can judge distance as well as direction. Because one ear is slightly further forward than the other one, which, uh, which gives it um, the ability to pinpoint... Where the mouse is in the grass, so it's not just
1: left, right, up, so down,
0: but in, in, forward and back as well.
1: So it can hunt in total darkness. How about that? Just by listening. By listening. So it's got kind of like 360 degree listening abilities. <laughs> amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, Dad, thanks very much for talking to us again. Okay. This time about book number two A River Avon Year. Uh, lovely, okay. And uh, it, we didn't get snowed on no. or rained on. And. Uh, Very nice. The sun didn't really come out. No,
0: it's a bit grey.
1: Tomorrow the sun's going to come out. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. You too. Bye for now. So listeners, hello there. Uh, Here we are in the ending part of this episode. This is where I chat to you a bit more before the episode finishes. This is only available in the audio version, by the way, you lucky audio people. Um, So thanks again to my dad, Rick Thompson, for yet another episode. And yeah, why not consider picking up a copy of this book? My dad has basically self-published it or published it independently. So it's not receiving the kind of attention that it might receive if it was being published by a major publishing company. In in those cases, like when a book is published and picked up by a big publishing company, in those cases... They usually do a lot of marketing and advertising and arrange for the book to be featured on various websites or to be reviewed in big newspapers and magazines or to be featured in the windows of major bookshop chains. So this book is not getting that kind of marketing exposure because... He's gone the direct route and chosen to publish it independently. Uh, But this is a wonderful book. And my dad is a great writer who deserves, you know, to be read, basically. Um, So if you enjoyed his last book, Park Life... Then you are bound to like this one, too. It is also full of vivid, charming descriptions, interesting facts and insights into British history, and it is easy to read. My dad has great control over language and is a lover of language, but his writing is never overcomplicated or too fancy. I think it's an excellent model for anyone out there learning English, so check it out. A River Avon Year, uh, the full title... A River Avon Year, The Wildlife and History of Shakespeare's Avon, A Journey Through the Year from Source to Seven. Seven, by the way, is, is the name of um, one of the longest rivers in Britain, the longest river in England, the River Seven. S E V E R N. OK, so that's what it—that's what that means, a journey through the year from source to seven. From source, meaning the, the origin of the river, to seven, which is the larger river that the Avon uh, joins up with. OK, uh, so that's if you just search for Rick Thompson, a river Avon year, you'll find it. Also, of course, you'll find a link to uh, Amazon on the page for this episode and in the episode description uh where you can buy the paperback. Dad also mentioned the book depository, that's bookdepository.com, which is another online bookshop that you can, you know, consider. Yes, I mean I, I don't know if those both those websites s- deliver or serve to absolutely every corner of the world. Not that the world is a square, but that is a phrase that we say, all corners of the world. But in in any case, I hope that you can manage to get a copy of this book somehow. It's not available in Kindle version, unfortunately. That's just the way it is. And there's no audiobook version of it at this stage. But uh, I hope that you can get a copy of it. Okay. Thank you for your comments, by the way, after I published last week's episode, which was that conversation about the language of children and childcare with Anna from English Like a Native. Um, Thank you for your comments after listening to that episode, because, well, if you missed that and you didn't hear, um, well, I said in that episode that my wife is pregnant. She's having a baby. We are having a baby. Well, technically she is having a baby. The due date for the arrival of child two is at the beginning of July. That's not the name that we've chosen. We haven't, we're not just going to call this child Child 2. We will actually give the child a proper name, of course. Uh, But anyway, the due date is at the beginning of July. Um, So um, thanks for your comments. People have written nice things saying congratulations and stuff like that. That's, That's lovely. Thank you very much. And also thank you for your understanding regarding how this might affect the podcast in the summer. Obviously, I'm talking to the people who actually understand (laughs) the people who are willing to understand that it might um, affect my publishing. If you don't understand that, then I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm not saying thank you to you, obviously. But that's just the thing we say, isn't it, in English? We say thank you for your understanding, just assuming that people understand. But anyway, thank you for your understanding regarding how this might affect the podcast in the summer. I'm always suggesting, aren't I, that the podcast might pause for a while. For example, it, it gets close to the summer holidays. And I sort of say, Oh, I think that you might get no episodes for a few weeks, because I'll be on holiday. You know, I always say that. But then I always manage to keep going and publishing new episodes throughout those periods. But we will see what happens this time. You know, having a, uh, a newborn baby, um, Often means that you have to focus on on that and I will be taking paternity leave, you know, um, parental leave so I can focus um, exclusively on looking after the baby and being there for my wife and also our daughter as well. Um, So, you know, uh, thank you for your understanding if it affects my publishing of the podcast. Uh, Like I said before, I might take a couple of months off, um, but who knows? uh I might be able to f- still find ways to keep podcasting. Maybe I'll record loads of episodes um between now and and the summer and I can sort of publish those uh while I'm taking some time off. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen. Um or maybe I'll just be focusing on that on just sleeping during all of that time. Like literally between now and, and July, I'm just going to be like, right, I'm, I'm only going to sleep now. That's it. No more podcasts. I'm just going to sleep 24 hours a day just to try to uh, make up for the fact that potentially in July, I will never sleep properly again for the rest of my life. I don't know. <laughs> um, but we'll see what happens. It all depends on how everything goes. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode Thank you to my dad for his contribution to, an, to another episode of this podcast. But that's all for this one. No more rambling at this point. I will be back in your speakers and headphones soon with more new content for you to listen to. Okay. All right. Good. Leave your comments in the comment section. Uh, don't forget to uh, leave nice reviews of the podcast wherever you you know subscribe to it and all that sort of thing. Uh, you could consider making a donation uh, through PayPal on my website if uh, you want to support the show. And of course, Luke's English Podcast Premium is there to uh, allow me to use my particular set of teaching skills to help you with your English, uh, to develop your vocabulary and to help you practice your pronunciation and sort of push your pronunciation um, by repeating after me, allowing you to focus on things like uh, word stress, sentence stress, pausing, emphasis, intonation, and of course, vowel sounds, consonant sounds, combinations of consonant sounds, all those sorts of things to get bonus episodes from me in which I actually use my teaching skills more directly and clearly rather than just presenting you with interesting things to listen to. You could sign up to Luke's English Podcast Premium and you can add all the premium episodes to your podcast list in your podcast app of choice. That's how it works. Okay. To get more information, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info. And if you want to sign up, it's uh, teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. Okay. Okay. All right, then. I'll speak to you again soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye. 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 And by the way, you're probably going to get a little announcement again at the end of this episode. I do little automatic announcements. There's one at the beginning, which you always hear okay, where I say, Luke's English podcast, blah, blah, blah. You can also get my premium content when I use my particular set of skills, that, before the jingle. And there's another one at the end as well, isn't there, after the jingle, where I say you could consider signing up to LEP premium. Even though I've just said that, you're going to hear me say it again. But you know what, if you do sign up to premium uh, episodes, then all of those things get removed. Those little adverts, all those automatic little things, and also automatic adverts that might be inserted into the podcast um, while you listen, depending on where you are, those get removed as well if you become a premium subscriber. So, you know, just something to consider. Uh, Okay, so I'll continue saying goodbye, bye-bye now. Okay, because I interrupted myself doing that. I'm going to continue doing that right now. Bye, 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 bye.